And good evening, everyone. We take this opportunity to welcome everyone to our Bible study this evening, especially those who are online. Uh, today, we are going to go about the business of recapping a series that it, we went through in five weeks called The Passion and the Glory. It is a lesson about our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. When we speak of the passion and the glory, what we're talking about is his death and his glorious resurrection. So today then, today our goal is to recap those lessons in hopes of, first of all, solidifying in our minds and our hearts the love of God for those he created, and more importantly, the love of God for those who have become children of God by virtue of our, dis- our obedience to his word. And I want to remind you of about two weeks ago, when we, uh, the last time we met on Wednesday, um, there, was, there was a huge difference between the man that God created and the man that has become a child of God. There is a huge difference between the two. So let us pray. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we're so very thankful that we're able to be here tonight. We're thankful, Father, as we look to recap this series, The Passion and the Glory, Father, that the things that we're reminded of would hang upon our minds and our hearts, Father, as we realize how blessed we are that our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus came to this earth and lived here, Father, that he lived a perfect life so that he can he could pay the debt for sin that we couldn't pay. We're thankful in the way he went to his death, Father, and that he willingly did so and joyfully did there, Father, did so at your command. And Father, we're thankful that out of your power you resurrected him, Father, and allowed so many witnesses to see him. And that in itself, Father, helps us in our walk of faith. Father, may we continue to strive to improve our faith each and every day, Father. Let us Stay in the word of God. Let us meditate on it, Father, and let us grow with it. Heavenly Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. When we think about those lessons that, when we think about those lessons that we participated in the the past um, five weeks, so those five weeks, all of those lessons point to the gospel of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, the gospel which the Apostle Paul declares at Romans 1 at verse 16, when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The gospel that Paul talks about is contained in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where each writer provides the same account from his own unique perspective. And when we look at those synoptic perspectives, what we find is they climax their witness of Jesus' life with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And sometimes when we think about the gospel, we, we want to leave the life of Christ Jesus out and just want to go straight to the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But if you think about it, Use a little logic here. In order for there to be a resurrection, there had to be a burial. In order for there to be a burial, there had to be a death. In order for there to be a life, uh, in order for there to be a death, there had to be a life. So when we think of Christ Jesus, think of the life he lived to, so that he would be worthy 
for the de- de- the death that he died, so that be, he would be worthy for the resurrection that he was, he achieved. When we look back at those lessons, what we found was we saw how men, mankind, was so blinded by their own evil that they plotted to destroy Jesus. They lied to convict Jesus. They tortured and humiliated him. And then when all of this was said and done, they murdered and then tried to forget him. During those five weeks, our focus was on the climactic final moments of Christ Jesus' life where the greatest drama, if you will, of human history was played out. We go back to those lessons and we find that we join Christ Jesus. We join with him at his last supper. We heard his last words. We witnessed or saw his last miracle. We learned his last command. And finally, we who are baptized children of God receive his last gift. During week one, We joined Christ Jesus as he ate with his apostles his and their last Passover meal. Now, let's talk about apostles for a moment. In in understanding the requirements of being an apostle, all of us need to know this. Because someone has the audacity to preference every sentence with the words, thus says the Lord, does not an apostle make. To qualify as an apostle... One would have been with Christ Jesus from the beginning of his ministry until his ascension. And I say to you, that's not a man living today that can claim that. Or they would have been personally taught by Christ Jesus as the apostle Paul was. That is, after his encounter with Christ Jesus on the road to Damascus, or Damascus rather, which took place after Christ Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And again, I say to you, that's not a man alive who can say they have done this. At Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29, what we see there is what in a lot of Bibles just re- re- referred to as the institution of the Lord's Supper. And, and, and yes, it was, but there was something else going on there as well that we need to be mindful of. So let's, let's just think back a moment to those Passover item emblems that they had. There was the roasted lamb, which was to be killed and sacrificed. That was the unleavened bread, which represented the holiness and purity that the people should have. There were the bitter herbs, which represented the the memory of suffering of the people in Egypt. And then there was the wine, which represented the blessing and the abundance of the promised land. So again, I say to you, Matthew chapter 26, we did see Christ Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper, but Christ Jesus was also changing the focus. He was changing the focus for those apostles who was there with him, and he was changing the focus for us today to see when we read this text. So at Matthew chapter 26, at verse 26, the Bible reads, While they were were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the divine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
Again, I say the focus changed. The focus changed from the past to the future, and it's changed as follows. Unleavened bread now represents Christ Jesus' holy and pure body, which was given for them, which was given for us as a sacrifice for sin. The wine now represents Christ Jesus' blood and his life freely given to purify all men from sin, including us, and to guarantee us the promise of an abundant eternal life. The bitter herbs are no more. Why? Because the memory of Christ Jesus' suffering is eclipsed by the glory of his resurrection from the dead. And no more lamb to kill and be sacrificed. Why? Because Christ Jesus is the Lamb of God, whose blood will cover and protect his people forever. After his last meal, Christ Jesus ventured into the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed three times, and he made the comment that God's will be done, not his. This is before he was arrested there. Now, as we turn to week two of our lesson, what we have are three scenes unfold. Okay, and they unfolded before the the last seven things that Christ Jesus spoke from his cross. Scene one, we can read about in Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 65. There is the scene of the Jewish trial where Christ Jesus confirms that he is indeed the Messiah and he is sentenced to death. He is beaten and he's turned over to the Romans for execution. And, and it's amazing. They, the people who sentenced him had no authority at all in terms of ter- carrying out the execution themselves. So they turned him over to scene two, which is the Roman trial. Now, the Roman trial, what we want to look at here is this right here. While at, in this process of the Roman trial and Christ Jesus looked out at the people who were accusing him and this is what he what he saw he did not find a single drop of human pity or compassion that was being displayed by the Jewish leader religious leaders the same ones who were demanding his execution and he was again beaten and humiliated more before being sent to his crucifixion That takes us to the third and final scene, Luke 23, verses 26 through 25, the crucifixion. It is here we hear Christ Jesus speak his final words before giving up his life on the cross for our sins. So let's look at what took place here. Luke 23, verse 34. Christ Jesus hanging on the cross, he's looking and he's hearing and he's seeing how the people are. And what does he do? He shows compassion on his enemies. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke 23 at verse 43. Remember, he was hung on cross on a cross between two thieves. And at one time, both thieves were were hurling insults at him. But then something happened where one of them made the statement that, you know, we're hanging here because of our crime. We deserve to be here. He doesn't. And he said to Christ Jesus, remember me in your kingdom and Christ Jesus showing compassion for 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 this this uh, robber says, truly, I say to you. Today you shall be with me in paradise. 
at John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, we still can think of Christ Jesus on the cross and, and looking out and he see his mother and he realizes that he will not be able to care for her as he did before. And he sees this, the disciple whom he loved, John. So what did he say? Woman, behold your son. And he said to his that disciple whom he loved, behold your mother. At Matthew chapter 27 at verse 46, we see a change here. It, initially, we see how Christ Jesus was showing his concern for his enemies and his concern for uh, the thief on the cross and for his mother and the disciple whom he loved. At Matthew 26 at verse 40, 27 at verse 46, we see Christ Jesus start to turn his attention to himself. Because remember this right here, Christ Jesus is the Son of God. And But in order for him to suffer and down the cross for our sins, he had to be human as well. So Christ Jesus turns his attention to himself, if you will, and he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we turn our attention to Luke, uh, to John chapter 19 at verse 28, and we see Christ Jesus showing more of his human side where he says, I am thirsty. At John 19 at verse 30, we hear the words, it is finished. And some people may think that means, okay, I'm going to die right now. But what Christ Jesus was alluding to is the fact that all the things that God has sent him to this earth to accomplish, he had accomplished those things. And he was correct. It is finished. There is no more for me to do here except what we see in Luke 23 at verse 46. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. We go into John chapter uh, 10, verse 17 in a moment. John chapter 10, verse 17. These are the last words Christ Jesus spoke before he dies. Notice something. He does not go struggling to hang on to life as most men do. But what did he do? He willingly offers his spirit in death to his father. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Why? Because Christ Jesus knew something. He knew. He knew that he had the power to both lay, life, lay his life down and pick it up again. We look at John chapter 10 at verse 17 and the Bible reads, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from, away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. What is the logic of this text if you rethink about it? The logic of the text we just read is this right here. I know that if he has the power to pick up his own life, then I know he certainly has the power to raise up others as well. I know he certainly has the power to raise me up as well. Christ Jesus' death and burial was short-lived. It was short-lived. For in three days he transitioned from his passion to his glory. Again, the passion being his death and his glory being his triumphal resurrection. There are 12 recorded events 
which support the promise that came from Christ Jesus, and that is he would rise up again. Now we read in John, I think it's 12 at verse 51 around that time, that if the, if, if, if the world contained all the things that Christ Jesus did while he was on this earth, that, that, that the books, there were not enough volume to contain it. So, but we just have 12 here, and the 12, let's say that we need to know about. So we're looking at the 12 appearances of Christ Jesus uh, once he was resurrected. And the very first one we see at John chapter 20 at verses eight, 11 through 18. Now remember Christ Jesus has been crucified. He's been taken down from the cross. His body has been prepared. He's been placed in the tomb. The tomb has been sealed. And three ladies, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, early that Sunday morning was going to the tomb to finish the process. And when they got there, the, the stone had been rolled away, and Christ Jesus was no longer there. And two of the ladies, Mary the mother of James and Salome, um, once the angels finished talking to them and told them to go tell the disciples that they left. And Mary Magdalene, Magdalene stayed there. And so we see at John 20, verse 11 through 18, that is Christ Jesus' first appearance was to her. So at Matthew chapter 28, verses 8 through 10, remember those two women who were on en route to tell the apostles uh, what they had seen and what the angel had said? That was his second, second appearance. Uh, the third appearance we see at, we see at Luke twenty four thirty four and First Corinthians fifteen five, where we're told he appeared to Peter, but we're not given any additional information about that. His fourth appearance, Mark sixteen at verse twelve, Luke twenty four verses thirteen to fourteen. There were two men on the, on, on en route to Emmaus. They had witnessed a lot of things that had taken place in Jerusalem. They had heard the story of the women, and they were talking to Christ Jesus, but they didn't know who he was. But once he revealed himself to them, we're told that very night they returned and went those seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles there what they had witnessed. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 35 through 49, we see his fifth appearance. He appears to the apostles, but Thomas isn't there. Now, the, these we've looked at the first five recorded appearances of Christ Jesus, and all of these took place on the day that Christ Jesus was resurrected. So we go to the sixth appearance at John 20, verses 24 through 29. This time he appears to the apostles, and Thomas, Thomas is with them. And remember Thomas, he still wasn't going to believe unless he could touch and Christ Jesus allowed him to, and Thomas believed. But remember where Christ Jesus said, Blessed are those who are far off who believe and have not seen and have not touched. And I can't say this enough. He is not talking about mouths. He's talking about time. In other words, he's talking about us today. None of us was there to touch Christ Jesus' side. None of us was there to see him, but we believe. And he's saying, Blessed are we that we can believe. Okay, the next appearance, um, John chapter 21, verses 1 through 24, his seventh appearance. Appearance. He, he uh, appears to the apostles by the shore. Remember, it looked like uh, Peter and the rest of the apostles was getting a little bit restless, so they went fishing, didn't catch anything. Christ Jesus came along, told them to recast their nets, and they had a great bountiful catch, and they sat down and talked and ate together. 
uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and Mark 16, verses 15 through 16, we see his eighth appearance to the apostles on the mountain. And this particular text in some Bibles is referred to as the Great Commission. Uh, but he was giving them instructions there that day. Uh, we're going to come back to this later. Uh, the ninth appearance, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6, he appeared to 500 brethren that were together. 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 7, his tenth appearance, he appeared to James, his earthly brother, who, who was interesting about James. When Christ Jesus was alive and preaching during his ministry, oops, during his ministry, James wasn't a believer, but James became a believer. So that should give us something to think about. Because sometimes we go to our family members and we want to tell them about Christ and they don't want nothing to do with it. They don't want to listen to you. But, you know, as long as they breathe, someone may come along and say the right thing to them so they they too will become believers. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, his 11th appearance. And again, this was to his apostles before his ascension. And it's fair to say that this was a final appearance to the apostles before Christ Jesus returned to heaven. And they were able to witness this. So let's go back and look at these last 11 events that we just talking about. Over 500 people of all kinds. Men, women, old, young, educated, not disciples saw Christ Jesus in the daytime. They saw him at nighttime. They saw him indoors. They saw him outdoors. Over a period of about a month, he ate with them. He talked with them. He touched them and comforted his disciples all in preparation for his return to heaven. And then we get to the 12th recorded event. Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 19, his 12th recorded appearance. There Christ Jesus appears to Saul, who became Paul, the same man who began his preaching ministry that will eventually send him to a Roman prison, that will eventually send him to his execution. And why? Because he so vehemently opposed, the the religion that he so vehemently opposed before Christ Jesus appeared to him was the religion he was now preaching. And... You know, what I always what I always liked about Paul, I have to tell you this is this. Before Paul became a Christian, Paul was tenacious. He was tenacious. When Paul became a Christian, he was tenacious. You know, I mean, he did, you know, his foot was on the gas when he was trying to destroy them. And when he became a Christian, he still didn't take it off the gas. If anything, he pushed that pedal even more to the floor. And so that's something to think about right there, the tenaciousness of Paul. So then, that brings us to this right here. The purpose of Christ Jesus' resurrection. It's fair to say that Christ Jesus' resurrection was threefold in his purpose. In that his resurrection established Jesus as the divine Messiah. His resurrection is important because it produces faith. And number three, his resurrection is important because it eliminates mankind's greatest fear, and that is death. I want to take you to First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. But before I do it, I want to share something with you. Uh, just about 30 years ago, 
I, I was a, still a fairly new Christian, and I was endeavoring to read through the Bible, and, and I was reading in First Corinthians chapter 15, or First Corinthians rather, when um, a brother by the name of Raph Brinkley, that's, uh, that's Lindsay's great-granddad, and uh, uh, his dad, his son, Jerry, and his daughter, Carolyn, uh, I believe they were taking care of his final wishes and everything. So they needed some people to come over and sit with him while they were away. And I can't remember if I was on leave or took leave or whatever it was, but I was off. And I went over and I sat with him. And uh, when I first got there, I, I asked him if he mind me reading something to him. He said, no, by all means. He said, do you mind if I read First Corinthians 15? And he said, that's a good place to read, by all means. So I sat there and I read First Corinthians 15 to him. But I just want to read a section of that scripture right there. 54 through 57, because you see here, Paul describes the final victory of the Christian. That is the victory over death made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The text reads, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal would have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going over to John chapter uh, 6, verses 39 through 40. John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. And here, what we're going to find is this. God answers a question for us. And the question that he answers is this. How does the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, how does it give us resurrection in the future? John chapter 6 at verse 39 answers that question very clearly. Really, it does. The Bible reads, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. The resurrection then, the resurrection is necessary to destroy the fear of death. The resurrection is necessary to show that death is not final. The resurrection is necessary to show that it can and has been defeated. And finally, the resurrection is important to show that the one who defeated it also has the power to give that victory to others. The greatest promise of the gospel is that all who believe in Jesus Christ's personal resurrection from the dead, that this will be a reality for them. It will be a reality for us in the same way that it was a reality for Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ's resurrection identifies Christ Jesus as the only Savior. His resurrection ignites the flame of faith in all of us. His resurrection gives us hope. In a moment, we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16, and then we're going to switch over to Mark 16, verse 16. 
Now, what we're going to find there is that we're not going to read that part uh, that we see in Matthew, but we're going to read an additional part because that part right there tells us about the power that God gave in Mark, tells us about the power that God gave the apostles in empowering them to go about establishing that young church back in the first century and doing so with authority and doing so as, as strong witnesses there. So we go, so what we do again is different occasions when when Jesus gave his apostles their final instructions but it's a synoptic view if you will so Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 the Bible reads but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated and when they saw him they worshiped him and even at this point in time some were doubtful And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, think about that right there, and then you add this part to it from the book of Mark, starting at verse 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And then the the, the power that he's putting upon the apostles, he says this right here. These signs will accompany those who have believed. He's talking about these apostles here. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So basically, Basically, the command to go forth into the world can be broken down into three parts. Number one, they were to tell the good news of of Jesus Christ who died to pay for the sins of all men and rose from the dead to prove his divinity. And they were to tell this to the entire world, to every person in the world. Number two, they were to baptize, that is, immerse in water those who believe their witness about Jesus Christ. And number three, they were to teach the converts to know and obey everything that Jesus Christ commanded so that they would become faithful disciples as well. And I say to you again, what what we see happening in Matthew 28 as well as Mark 16, it is a perpetual thing, which means it wasn't just supposed to be the apostles talking about it and then nobody talks about it again. They were teaching disciples. You might say like we used to say in the military, they went out and trained their replacements. And that's what we're doing as Christians. We are supposed to go out and train our replacements to keep telling the good news of Christ Jesus. That's what evangelism is all about. So the command and execution of these instructions, they were critical in that three things happened that had never taken place before. And so for the first time in the history of mankind, there was absolute exclusivity in religion in that the only way to God is through Christ Jesus. Brethren, that hasn't changed yet. Number two, they there was a final solution to life's major problems, sin and death. The solution to sin, forgiveness. The solution to death, resurrection. 
that has not changed today. And the last one, and this one hasn't changed either, the entire world was made to choose. They were made to choose. Again, we go to Mark 16 and verse 16. You must choose to believe or you must choose to disbelieve. If you choose to believe, you will be baptized and you shall be saved. If you choose to disbelieve, you will be condemned. So then, we're talking about choice. The choice is exclusive. It's one or the other. Choose to be saved or choose to be condemned. Your choice. God tells us very clearly we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. God is saying, you must choose. Do you want to be saved and spend an eternity in hell? Or you must choose to be condemned to hell for an eternity. The choice is terrifying when you consider the options. None of us has ever been to heaven. None of us has ever been to hell. But they exist. And we need to choose which one we want to go with. The choice attacks my privacy. It attacks my sense of my sense of independence. How dare you tell me I got to depend on God? I've never seen him. How dare you? God got to get in my business. The choice is demanding and urgent when you think about it, because I think, Tony, um, a long time ago, Tony, you probably remember this. We were over at South Anchorage, and I think it was maybe the, the first sermon you preached at South Anchorage. And the sermon was one second after death, <laughs> one second after death. And Tony has said this before, and a lot of other preachers have said it before, too. The next second we can be dead. So demanding and urgent. Yes, but it's at the same time, it's offensive because how dare God judge me? I can judge God, but how dare God judge me? The choice weighs a million tons on my conscience until I answer it. Trust me, even when I wasn't a Christian, there was something always on my mind telling me I needed to do something different. But at the same time, that choice was telling me by me not doing something different, I had made a choice. And it was weighing. And then finally, this right here, the choice makes me angry. It makes me angry. Why is this? Because now I know what the choice is. <laughs> Believe and obey <laughs> and be saved or dis- disbelieve, be disobedient and be lost. The choice makes me angry because, you see, I want to say, why do you make me choose? Why do you make me choose? Being mutual is, oh man, it's all so comfortable. It's all so comfortable. So, so during, during the three years with them, Christ Jesus had given them many precious gifts. So we're getting down to the last week of the lesson here. We look at John 17, verses 7 and 8, and we find that Christ Jesus gave them the words of the Heavenly Father to enlighten them. At John 14, verse 11, we find that Christ Jesus gave them proof of his divinity and miracles to reassure them and build their faith, our faith. Matthew 26, verse 26, Christ Jesus gave them the sacrifice of his body and blood to pay the debt for the sins of mankind. And finally, Matthew 28, Verses 18 through 20, Christ Jesus gave them the witness of his resurrection in order to confirm all of his promises. 
If he can keep that promise about his resurrection, the rest of them got to be a piece of cake. <laughs> it got to be a piece of cake. The correct choice, according to God's word, allows access to Christ Jesus' last gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the way it worked for the apostles and the way it works for us is different in that the the apostles were both empowered and had the indwelling as well. Now, when we think of empowerment, when we think of empowerment, um, there was a purpose behind it. John 14 and verse 16, so that they can remember accurately and go teach about it. So that they can preach with power, according to John 16, verses 7 through 8, and Mark 16 and verse 20, to perform miracles. And I say to you again, there's nobody living today that can do this. That died with the last apostle. That died off with the last apostle. So that takes us to Acts 2 at verse 38. The indwelling which is necessary for every believer's walk of faith. So which is to say when it, for the indwelling, it is for all Christians. And again, it is not the same as empowering. So remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter was there. And the question was, brethren, what must we do to be saved? And Peter responded very distinctly. Peter said to them in Acts 2.38, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is God living within the heart of every believer. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the actual presence of God within the individual and the person of the Holy Spirit. At Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the Bible says this about the Spirit. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit within a Christian motivates him to seek and experience the things of Christ Jesus. So the question that was asked in that last lesson is being asked tonight. How do I know that the Holy Spirit is within me? Romans chapter 8 at verse 26. Romans chapter 8 at verse 26. We find that the Holy Spirit is my prayer partner. The text says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit leads me in my thirst for righteousness according to Romans chapter 8 at verse 12. Romans chapter 8 at verse 12 where the Bible says, so then brethren we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you are living according to the flesh you must die. But if by the spirit you are put into death the deeds of the body you will live. For he 
Rather, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. These are children of God. The Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 3 and verse 14, the Holy Spirit helps me in my desire and my ability to have intimacy with God. One of the most intimate things that Christ Jesus spoke when he said, spoke of God, and he said, Abba, Father. Okay, so Ephesians 3 at verse 14, the Bible reads, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses the knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The Holy Spirit enables me to minister in some way. At 1 Corinthians 12 at verse 4, 1 Corinthians 12 at verse 4, the Bible reads, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit and to another the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy and to another the distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues but one and the same spirit works all these things distributed to each one individually just as he wills the offer of the Holy Spirit is still available today God no longer empowers us to do miracles today. Why? Because we no longer need them to confirm the gospel or to establish the church. But according to John 13 and verse 35, we know this. We know, or rather we now have his complete word recorded to help us do this work. The sign that we are truly of God is not the power of miracles, but the power of love. John 13 and verse 35, the Bible reads, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Through the eyewitness records of Jesus' final days, we have been in the private room and seen him eat his final meal with his apostles. We have heard his final words while he hung on his cross. We were there to see and hear him as he appeared to the apostles and others after his triumphal resurrection. All of us know his final command, that all the world is to believe and be baptized or perish forever. And that we as his disciples have the responsibility to perpetuate the teaching of the good news until we die or he returns apart from sin to redeem his own. 
And finally, we have received the offer of his final gift, the Holy Spirit living inside of every person who will receive Christ Jesus through faith, expressed in repentance and baptism, and continued in belief, confession, and faithful obedience. The passion of Christ Jesus on the cross was for our sins. The glory of his resurrection can be the glory of our own resurrection if we respond to his call. And this is our hope. We want to thank everyone for joining us through this series and through this recap. I hope we think about how blessed we are as children of God that we have a Savior who so willingly suffered and died for our sins. But at the same time, when he left us, he left us with the Holy Spirit to continue to guide us and dwell within us and lead us every day. For those who were here uh, online with us, if you have some questions or uh, about this lesson, by all means, give us a call, send us an email, write us a letter. We will be happy to talk to you. In a moment, we're going to have a devotional. And, and and I know sometimes we get in a hurry and uh, and we want to get somewhere to go and we happy that study is over so we can go do something. Give God five or ten more minutes, 15 more minutes. Give him a few more minutes and hear this devotion that you're about to hear. Because every time someone stands here and proclaims to you the word of God, they're not doing it because of them. They're doing it because that is their desire to please God by taking forth the word to all, to to their sisters and brothers in Christ and for those who are not Christians as well. So I want everybody to endeavor that's listening tonight, endeavor from this point forth that on Wednesday nights... That on Wednesday nights, we're going to stick around for a few more minutes and we're going to sing a song. We're going to participate in prayer and we're going to participate in that message that a brother in Christ has taken the time to bring us. Thank you.